Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pakana Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Vergara. What's going on, everybody? We have David Amell of the studio over at MKBHD Studios, um, and he was at the Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit, which is why we were able to do this uh, great return to like a in-person podcast. It was great to catch up with David once again. Now, the two of us talk about the announcements at the Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit were things like the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, the renamed new processor from Qualcomm was announced. Uh, After that, we also have discussion about a particular development in mobile gaming that might color how some products look in the upcoming year. And then the other processors, which of course, um, it begs the question of how they are going to stack up to things like the um, Apple M1 processor processors or even back in the mobile space how things will stack up to like the google tensor processors these are all discussions that we have on this episode of the podcast brought to you from hawaii at the snapdragon summit so let's go ahead and get into this discussion enjoy David and I are here for the Snapdragon Summit, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really great announcements, and I think I just want to start off by talking about the fact that we're finally back together, mm-hmm. all, all of us in this event that we generally are able to enjoy every year. But of course, a big thing happened uh, <laughs> last yeah. year that prevented yeah. it. Couldn't do it last year. Yeah. Um, different island this time around, a uh, different venue. Got a message from one of our Qualcomm friends. And, um, oh, no, it's just about uh, the, the luau tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah, just about the luau. Okay. Um, but, yeah, the um, so what was I going to say about the, the show? Things are a little bit different. We yeah. we are still, like, in the keynote. We're still inside of, like, auditoriums and stuff like that. Masks on all the time, though. Mm-hmm. Have you felt a radical shift in the way that this conference is being held as compared to before? It feels pretty standard to me. Um, I think, obviously, there are way less people here this year. I think there's only 300 versus, like, 600 or something. You know, I never noticed how many people were in the last ones. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if you think think about the, uh, just the conference room where they did the keynotes the previous years, it was huge. Mm -hmm. And now it was, like, there's 10 tables or something, right? It was, like, quite a bit smaller. Um, It's mostly people from America, a little bit of Europe and then like Korea and that's sort of it. <laughs> I think there were some I don't remember if Indonesia. It's, yeah, that was yeah. what I was about to say Indonesia. Came too. So it is nice to see all these familiar faces again. Of course, we did go to a couple of other events like fairly recently where we were able to see a lot of our friends anyway. But what I find so interesting is that we have this conference. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sort of a precursor because in just three weeks, we have CES. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, you've already told me you're not going to be going. Yeah, sadly. Um, this is my first one. Well, Oh yeah, I did go last year. <laughs> yeah, technically I did. Yeah, but I'm 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 still first one not going. Sad. Yeah, and everyone's going. Everyone is, um, and I'm very curious as to how that's all going to go down. Yeah, and if this tech summit, or rather Snapdragon summit, yeah, it's still called tech summit, right? If this tech summit it's gonna is be the last um, thing for a while again. <laughs> well, that not just that, but also yeah. like if this is the, the 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 if this is the way it's going to look. Oh yeah, you know, I um, can't imagine what CES is going to be like. Yeah, because even with masks, there's so many people in such a tight space. And the thing is, Vegas, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. You already get sick. (laughs) Everyone's just going to be like, I can't get home because I have the sniffles. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's just Vegas hasn't exactly been like the, they haven't exactly been the avatar of, uh, of, Proper protocol. Yeah. <laughs> over the last 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> but I we're going to, we're going to have to see. I mean, you know, just, just speaking personally, mm-hmm. I am boosted and flusted. I am mm-hmm. good to go. Mm-hmm. So it is fine. That's part of the reason why I'm even here is mm-hmm. because I made sure to take all the precautions and whatnot. But yeah, this has been our look into it. Um, you're right. It did look very similar to previous shows, two days of keynotes. Yeah. A lot of, um, activities in between and by mm-hmm. activities i mean like snapdragon based activities we were yeah. looking at demos demos benchmarking stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah so i guess i don't know I'm, I'm trying to think of like what our good flow would be on here what i'm gonna leave it up to you our guests like what do you want to talk about most first well i guess um there's like multiple announcements at this show mm-hmm. and this event i think had more announcements than previous years because not only did they announce a new flagship chipset but they also announced uh, the gaming chipset, which is a new kind of category for them. Uh, and this is actually something I was thinking about writing up or, or either writing up or making a video about. But it seems like Qualcomm is sort of trying to branch out into as many different categories as they can now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they have an automotive uh, chipset platform that they don't really talk to us about much because, you know, 
what are we going to do with the, those numbers, right? Yeah. It's only car manufacturers that that's actually useful for. But now they have a gaming platform. They, now, they have a third generation PC platform. They also have a smartphone platform. I think that's really smart because especially within the last two years, everyone started to make their own chips, right? Google's making their own chip. It's rumored that Oppo Group is making their own chip. Mm -hmm. So for Oppo Realme, is that their subgroup? Yeah. Um, and also Vivo. There's, oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there and OnePlus. It's Oppo, OnePlus, Vivo, Realme. Realme. Yeah. Uh, it's rumored that Xiaomi is starting to make their own chip. And Apple makes their own chip, right? So it's like, there's not a lot of smartphone manufacturers left to use Qualcomm chips. Mm -hmm. I think they still sort of own the mid-range. Um, but over the next couple of years, I could see it. I could see a lot of manufacturers starting to make their own stuff. And because of that, and that like obviously adds a lot of benefits. You have more top-down control. You can support Android for longer, all these different things. But Qualcomm kind of needs to start like putting their fingers, their toes in every little category. Yeah, I think gaming is actually one of the most interesting categories for me that they branched out to this year. Certainly the most exciting looking thing yeah. coming out of here. Yeah. Um, Apparently Razer's actually selling it, right? I okay. I heard here's, that. Here's the thing. It's a developer kit, right? Yeah. Okay, so just just to just to give the more like specific uh context to this. So one of the announcements here um was the Snapdragon G3X Gen 1. Mm -hmm. Now every every product that that Qualcomm makes is going to have some sort of gen moniker to it that yeah, way you know. That's new branding. Year to year, yeah. Um so the G3X is specifically made for high-end mobile gaming. Yeah. Now I know there are a lot of people who are listening to this right now that are probably scoffing a little bit, oh, mobile gaming. But hey, there's so many great IPs coming out right now. There's a lot of fun experiences out there. And you know what? Mobile gaming is honestly on the up and up. Yeah. Okay. So things like Genshin Impact are like an obvious example, but there are plenty of games out mm -hmm. there that require high power, all of the best like peripherals yeah. and the support, right? So Qualcomm went ahead and made a chip made specifically for that. Yeah. And hit up Razer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey. <laughs> Razer uh, is willing to do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They literally are in everything. So I was like, we kind of yeah. have a thing here that we think would be pretty cool. Do you think you can build all of the stuff around it? Yeah. And Razer's very good at building those kind of peripherals. And they've built basically that device before. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember the name of it, but this was back in like 2013, 2014. They like built, an all-in-one? Yeah, they built an all-in-one mobile handheld device. It was what? like a, It was a gaming tablet. I Do you don't remember that? No. It had the like slotted things on the side. I so don't remember this. It lasted like four months, <laughs> but they did sell it and yeah. people have them. Well, I mean, I, I love uh, our homie TK Bay. Um, he was saying, this is basically like, this could be the resurrection, like not the resurrection. It's not going to be <laughs> the, we're never going to see a Razor phone again, I feel like, well, but we'll this see. could be the continuation of that oh, spirit. Yeah, I saw his tweet about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is what the Razor phone could have been. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a great way to kind of look at it. They come back to the mobile space, but in kind of a different way. Yeah, I agree because they sort of like had this really interesting thing going on. If you remember with project, um, Aria? Hazel, the mask? <laughs> no, no, no. It was it was the it was the Razer laptop, the Razer book that, that the, slotted in the, the Razer phone mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Or Razer oh phone no, one. yeah, that's Do you remember right. Remember that? Yeah, I was, was thinking like of a, the other one where it was the multiple screens. It was basically Dex, but your because it was a square square phone, the screen of the phone became the touchpad, mm -hmm. also an extra screen. Yeah, and then it could power a full laptop. Everyone loved it. And they said they were going to make it, and then they didn't, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of classic Razor. I think that they just, they probably do the economics on it, and it doesn't make sense to scale that. Yeah. Especially because nobody bought Razor phones, uh, except for that random, like, 60-year-old dude I saw in Portugal with one. Shout out to that guy. Whoa, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. It was very scratched up and dinged up, but he was a homie. So, um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, like TK was saying, it's interesting because... We see so many attachments right now for phones to make mobile gaming better, right? Like there's the... Many of them from Razer. Many of them from Razer. Yeah, totally. Like they attach to your phone and allow you to have like a gamepad or like more controls. There's a lot of them right now that are being advertised like crazy. Like on my Instagram ads, I'm getting all of these ads for these gaming attachments, mm -hmm. which is funny because I don't game on my phone. <laughs> but but um, like you said, there's a there's a guy here. Uh, he goes by Hot Jukes, and he's one of the Snapdragon insiders. I actually interviewed him like three years ago. Oh, when the iPad um, 
Pro first came out or like maybe, I don't know. I think I saw something about people using LumaFusion to edit. And then I read something about how like a lot of professional mobile gamers actually game on iPads Mm -hmm. because there's so much space and it's just like a better experience than a phone. And a lot of those mobile games, especially a few years ago, I would look at, I would watch the tournaments and everyone was using an iPad. And I don't know if that's changed, but what's interesting is he told me that Call of Duty Mobile, the upcoming like world tournament for it, has a prize pool of $2 million. That is higher than any regular Call of Duty tournament that has happened before, which is proof that mobile gaming is, is coming up, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's really coming up. Um, and I, I don't personally play a lot of mobile games, but I, there has sort of been this shift even in the U S over the last couple of years where mobile games are suddenly becoming more mainstream here. Like they've always been popular in Asia. Well, it's, it's easy. That that was, that was about, that was what I was about to say. It's so easy for people to scoff at it who might have consoles or PCs or anything like that. But even the developers that they are used to seeing, they are making mobile games. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to scoff at it because they're like, oh, well, that game is just for Asia. But when you think about it, yeah, even if you're on like an iPhone, yeah, you see your favorite publisher making a game for your iPhone, you're going to try it. Yeah, right. You are going to try Unite, it. Pokemon Unite, you know. <laughs> Man, I yeah. was on that for a long time. Yeah. Um, Pokemon no. Unite, uh, Pokemon Unite, Wild Rift, obviously, yeah. is a good one. Um, right now, like yesterday, freaking um, Rocket League came out. Yeah, a, a mobile version of it, which is a lot more dumbed down, but it's still really fun. Yeah, it yeah, captures yeah. I the think fun. That's super sick. Yeah, and, and obviously, when you build these games for ARM first, you can optimize them a lot more. They can the graphics can look pretty much just as good as PC. They just have to be built for ARM, right? Yeah, because these chipsets are so freaking fast. Um, one thing that I found really interesting, and actually. Well, I'll get to that in a sec. What I wanted to finish my last thought was that mm-hmm. the reason in Asia why mobile games have been so popular for so long and why they're just now coming here is that there, it was a lot, it's a lot more common to like go to a gaming PC and play the games on the PCs there because components are expensive and it's, a very, it's much less common to have your own computer in Asia. And I think that's changing probably, but when it was, it became much more common to have your own phone before it became more common to have your own computer. Yes. And if you were able to just like play these games wherever you want, so it just took off. Um, now, the interesting thing about this whole platform shift that I've been thinking about a lot is the fact that, yes, Razer made this like gaming hand, handheld with Qualcomm. Nintendo sort of owns the mobile gaming dedicated console space. Mm-hmm. Um, Switch is right over there. You have yours. I have mine, uh, but we both have OLEDs, right? And they're still running on the same Tegra processor that powered the first one Mm -hmm. from 2017. Clearly, there has not been a ton of investment from ODMs into actually making mobile gaming hardware better. Uh, AMD made a really good APU for the Steam Deck. It's like custom designed for the Steam Deck. It's very powerful. But besides AMD and what NVIDIA did four years ago, (laughs) almost five years ago with the original Switch, uh, and I think even that was using, like, the same chipset as as the NVIDIA Shield or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so that's a, it's a really old thing. And with Nintendo games, it doesn't matter as much. But once Nintendo started bringing mainstream AAA titles to the Switch, like The Witcher, and you oh, saw yeah. that you had to run it on like the lowest possible settings at 720p, like there's sort of finally becoming this convergence. Because with Nintendo games, they can be low quality. Well, not low quality. They can be like low graphics quality because mm-hmm. they use very minimal textures, and it's more about the fun than it is about how realistic it is. But there's this convergence, and so in my opinion. I think that there's a very wide open space for a manufacturer to come in and produce a chipset that can run a dedicated mobile handheld. The the games that are on Switch, and I don't know if we even have the info for this, but are they are they ARM? No, developed no, no. right. But you can run Android on a Switch. Oh, okay, you can. So would you, so would the convert if they were if Nintendo were to adopt let's say a G3X would it yeah. actually they would probably have to use a translator or an uh, emulator but with the speed of these arm chips it probably would be about the same if not better okay um and they could you know just build stuff for it going forward or you know 
but that that said, I mean, it doesn't have to be Nintendo. What if what if uh, Sony came in and made a PlayStation uh, Vita? Yeah, like a Vita re 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 revival yeah, type of thing. Yeah, like a revived. Well, Vita. didn't they make? Wasn't even the, if it was just a streaming. That's was, what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, because they have PS now. So even if it was literally just like I heard a lot of people saying, "Oh, this like this Qualcomm thing is probably going to be primarily focused in cloud gaming and and like game streaming." Even if that was true, you can make super cheap hardware because it doesn't have to. If it didn't really have to have that much going for it because it's streaming anyway, it just be, needs to be able to connect to things like that's the benefit of this um new chipset what is the g g8x g3x g3x yeah g8x that would be uh lg okay right yeah <laughs> r.i.p the g8x the benefit is that it's based on the snapdragon 8 gen 1 mm-hmm. and because of that it has all the mobile connectivity stuff that yeah. you're already getting in phones to so even so, hear that like a a, a a gaming peripheral like that that has is lte yeah, yeah it has lte <laughs> Imagine a switch with lte yeah it, well it has lte not even just that millimeter wave wi-fi 6e mm-hmm. like to have all of those things in a gaming portable yeah it's pretty nuts yeah and like they had the demos that they had. How much time did you have with the actual like? I didn't actually get to use it. Really? Yeah. You had oh you I had might to use it today. Or you had to feel it. Like it, it was it was one of those things where every time we get some sort of controller or peripheral for a mobile device, the closest thing would be probably be the backbone for an iPhone. Yeah, the backbone is great. I get ads for that all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The backbone is amazing. I, I do love the way that they designed that. Mm-hmm. But even that. This blows it out of the water. Interesting. Everything about the way that it is constructed addresses all of those pain points that we have when it comes to mobile gaming. Yeah. Uh, performance, uh, cooling, the actual peripheral mm-hmm. controls and mm-hmm. all of that. The screen, even if it's FHD+, plus, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. It is still a high refresh rate. Yeah. It's really good. Like you said, like Razer, well, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the story that Razer's actually going to be um, actually selling it now or soon. Yeah, it might just be as a developer kit. It is a developer kit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is a developer kit. And you can get it at, I think it was like developer.razer.com or something like that. But they need to make this thing yesterday. Yeah. I think this is a great sort of pivot. Well, I think the cool thing is that mobile gaming is going a lot. It's mostly, it's very competitive now, right? Yeah. There clearly are a lot of like RPGs and stuff. For mobile gaming, mm-hmm. but a lot of what's driving mobile gaming to be more common and more popular is competitive games. Yeah, and most Nintendo games are single player, or they are like you're gonna play at your house with your friends. Mm-hmm. The Wi-Fi chips in Switches are crap. They're terrible. They've always been terrible. The worst play because of just that. Yeah. The worst place to play Pokemon Unite. Yeah, yeah, which is depressing. Also, um, Smash sucks. On online, mm. Smash Online sucks. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm I feel like the only person who never got Smash. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been play, you know me. I've been playing Smash for years. Indeed, but, yeah. Uh, even after they announced Sora, I still did not download it. Oh, okay, yeah. here's the problem I have with Smash. This is absolutely a tangent. Okay. Why is it never on sale? <laughs> um, Nintendo games are almost never on sale. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. very rarely go on sale. I've seen a couple of Nintendo games go on sale. Maybe there were like you know collaborations with third parties. Perhaps yeah. maybe that's why. But Oh my god! Like, can I can I please just not pay fifty nine ninety nine? I know. I think they just Smash. know that they're just gonna like people are gonna keep buying it. I know. <laughs> it's not really a concern. It's so rough. That's yeah. the only part that really gets me about it. But anyway. Yeah. But yeah. So like, the cool thing is that like, if competitive games are driving the overall mobile gaming scene in general, then having a device that is mobile opt like connected to the internet that could theoretically. One, either have a much better Wi-Fi chip in it. Two, be connected over LTE or millimeter wave or something or 5G and be able to play competitively on the train, on the bus. That, I think, is amazing because that really pushes the mobile gaming industry forward. Now, Fisher had a good point where he said, why won't people just play these games on their phones? Because the phones are basically powered by the same chip. So the only difference for here is really you're having a dedicated console versus a versus your phone that also does it. And people buy switches, but I have a feeling that people mostly buy switches because of the games. Yeah. And they're exclusive to the Switch. So if there are no exclusives for this dedicated console, will people buy it versus just using their phone plus maybe a backbone or something like that? That That is a really good point. Um, however, 
there are still bottlenecks in gaming phones. Yeah. You can even get the best. You can get a Red Magic, a Black Shark. What's the other one? ROG phone. Mm -hmm. You can get those phones, which are supposed Legion to be geared phone. toward Legion phone, the, which are geared towards having the best possible experience when you're on a gaming phone. But that's the thing. It's still yeah. the split personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are still bottlenecks in the way that it handles all those games. Yeah. You can't max out on Genshin Impact on an ROG phone. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I, I, I've, I, you can for a bit. Right. But then performance will dip once that phone gets kind of warm. Yeah. So well, that, I'm wondering how much better than a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, the 8. The G3. The X. G3. <laughs> Gosh. So many of them. names got worse. <laughs> I'm just going to say. Uh, I'm wondering how much better it is. Like, obviously, they talked about they could have optimized cooling and dedicated hardware. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's why you got to try out the actual thing because yeah. there's, there's a fan. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there's the, the peripherals, but yeah, like, like, and, and, and the sc the screen is uh, tuned yeah. for it and whatnot. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if you want to max out your experience, yeah, that's when you get this. Yeah, and that might make it a bit of a niche product. But the way that I see it, tablets are niche. Yeah, and it's this is the same thing. Yeah, and it's also possible that people want to have a dedicated device yeah. for that because if I was gaming on a thing, I wouldn't. The, a big reason I don't want to play like a mobile competitive game on my phone because then your phone can't be used as a phone it can't be used for all the other things because while you're in that mo session of a moba or something like that you like can't jump out of it to like take a phone call or answer a slack message or something exactly. like that right but if you have your phone sitting next to it you still can and uh manufacturers like oneplus have these like fanatic modes which will like turn on do not disturb and do all this stuff and like that's cool, but like we sort of need access to our phones, yeah. you know? And so being able to have a separate device for that, I think is pretty cool. And if people are gonna buy Switches, I could see them buying these too. And I think that, um, I, I was glad that they said this on stage, um, a criminally underrated experience of gaming on a phone is remote play. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about game streaming. I'm talking about my PS5 is on the big TV, but I want to lay in bed. Yeah. Like, I think there are actually a quite, uh, there's a good swath of people who actually do that. And mm -hmm. I think mostly on the Xbox side, maybe. Yeah. Um, because that, you know, they, I feel like Xbox players tend to be a little bit more like early adopter to certain features yeah. more than PlayStation. Yeah, I think it's because, I mean, it's very Microsoft integrated, which yeah. means they're probably PC users. And they market it like crazy. Yeah. Um, so like PlayStation Remote Play, I want to say is on the same level, but yeah. I, I think there are more Xbox players yeah. who use these features. Anyway, yeah. it's an underrated thing. Yeah. And that was one of the things that they said on stage was you can put Xbox Game Pass on there. Mm -hmm. You can do Remote Play with PS5 or 4. Yeah. And they even had Parsec. Yeah. On the actual demo thing. Yeah. And they were like, you can connect to your PCs and just play your PC games. You don't even have to sit yeah. in front of it. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Like that could be, that might be a roundabout way of getting the same experience that, cause I got some comments already that said, so it's basically not a steam deck. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that it just comes down to like a difference in what the manufacturer wants the device to be. Cause the steam deck is trying to be a, a PC computer uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> that literally runs the games. It is Linux based. You can run, you can run windows on it. You can run Linux on it if you want. And then you plug it in to a monitor and then you can use a mouse and keyboard. And I think that's amazing. Right. But it's all sort of on device and it's just playing the games that you would normally be playing on your PC. Yeah. Whereas this is like, what is the future of gaming? We're going to play the games that are optimized for mobile stuff that we think is the future. And also we're going to give you access to things like game streaming and all these other things. So like maybe the hardware doesn't have to be as good as like the steam deck. And so it's really interesting seeing that sort of mentality difference between valve and AMD's like really powerful APU. Yeah. And then like something like the, G three X Gen one, nice, got it, um, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> thank you. Uh, that that is more focused towards mobile optimized games and then also game streaming. Mm -hmm. It's just a totally different mentality. But I, I, just, I don't know what's gonna win if anything. I just want to we'll get see. at this thing like, I I want to I want to get at this thing like yesterday. Yeah, like I would love to use this more often because I do. I maybe I am one of those early adopters. You mm -hmm. know, like I love doing remote play. I love doing um, Game Pass streaming. Yeah, it's all great. And then of course like. I immediately when Rocket League came out, Rocket League Sideswipe, I should say, I installed it immediately. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally into it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. That would be like that. That was the gaming stuff. I knew that we were gonna go at length about all of that. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you want to pivot to some of the other stuff? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. We'll definitely get there. But the first half of this being about all that gaming. Yeah. Um. Razer, Qualcomm, get on it. Mm. But before we get to the rest of the stuff, let's take a real quick break. 
All right. So um, no segues here, just pivoting. Um, <laughs> uh, there is obviously there are other processors. Um, we see we see Qualcomm like starting to really differentiate between their different products and experiences. Mm-hmm. But yes, compute has been a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we were both at the same one where they first had the, the first eight CX. Yeah. yeah, or was yeah. it seven CX? Oh, no, eight CX. No, yeah, it was they 8CX. also have the lower tier one. Yeah, the seven. Yeah, CX. Um, and that was the year that we actually got our hands on the Surface Pro X yeah, that yeah. had it. That was a good time. Yeah. Um, I still have that thing and I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, but now we are in Gen three. Yeah. All right. So, so you said you had some thoughts on this. Yeah. I, I don't know much like mm. as far as the compute platforms are yeah. concerned. Obviously, everyone's going to be looking at it because the M1 has made a big splash yeah. and all that. That's so. obvious. That's I think that's the obvious kind of comparison. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I sort of wanted to talk about. Go for it. Is like, when are we going to see manufacturers or like, or like uh, devs jump on board? Because mm-hmm. right now. The developer ecosystem for Windows on ARM is still absolute crap. <laughs> and Apple has so much pull in the space. And not only do they have a lot of pull, but Rosetta 2 is such an incredible translator. And yes, I think Microsoft, or not Microsoft, uh, I guess Windows on ARM, right? They have that, but it's not nearly as good. There's still not wide support for almost anything. and it just feels like they're trying to do the if you build it, they will come, but they're not coming, <laughs> you know? And, like, nobody's really caring because there's not that many devices. And there's been, like, the Surface Pro X, and then I think there was an HP Elite Folio or something like that that, that was on Windows on ARM. Mm-hmm. And, like, in theory, a lot of the things about it are good and are very similar to M1. Um, but when it comes down to it, they're not powerful, and the the thing that M1 did that I think Windows on ARM has not done yet is that it was extremely efficient. It had all the app support. And not only was it efficient, but it was way faster than x86. Yeah, you're right. I think um, I think the same thing because I would not... I mean, you remember me. I was very anti-MacBook for yeah, the longest time. We both were. Yeah. We both were extremely anti-Apple for... I mean, not anti, but like I had never used an Apple... Well, not true. I never used an iPhone before the iPhone 12 when I reviewed I it. I never used a MacBook. Yeah. Like iPhones, I was... Like, I never owned a MacBook either. There yeah. you go. Well, right. I had the <laughs> Clambook G4, but... <laughs> I used an iPhone for like a hot minute uh, before get, getting into the tech reporting game. But MacBooks in particular never did it because yeah. it was always like the gamer in me can't, can't yeah. abide by that, right? I'm um, now playing Dota at 120 FPS on my MacBook. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but that Translated. Went, to that end, <laughs> like, like it was when the M1 first came out with the MacBook Pro 13, and then they were like, they, they brought they brought Blackmagic design on stage and were like, oh, we have, or not on stage, they had it remotely, but they were like, oh, it's great for us to have DaVinci Resolve support the M1. And I was yeah. like, this is a bad, this is bad. I can feel it. This is bad. This yeah. is going to make me do it. Yeah. And sure enough, I did it. Yeah. And it's extremely optimized and what i find so funny and this is just going to be like no shade at anybody it's just so funny to me that in that very auditorium as people were writing their notes about the atx gen 3 what mm-hmm. were they doing that on macbook pro <laughs> <laughs> m1 pro m1x and here's the problem too is that like apple is now a couple of like theoretically they're not generations ahead but they are generations ahead because even if they are on a level playing field in terms of how many generations they've gone through or I guess Qualcomm is one generation ahead theoretically, if you don't have developer support, you are not a generation ahead. Like, is until that, the developers start developing for your platform, the generation does not exist. Is that a Qualcomm problem or a Windows problem? Or Microsoft I, problem, I should say. It's more of a Microsoft problem. Okay. I don't think that Microsoft su- like supports Windows on ARM at all. And the reasoning for that is mostly because Apple is one of the only tech companies in like the world whose primary business and actually like almost all of their business comes from the consumer. Mm. Microsoft is now the most valuable company in the world. They passed Apple. Surface is like 0.0001% of that. What yeah. actually makes the money is enterprise. It's Azure. It's like all that stuff. It's Teams stuff. It's like just stuff that has nothing to do with, with the consumer hardware experience and because of that they don't care and it's the same reason why the pixel has always 
been blundering for years and years and years is because Google makes all of it, it prints money through AdSense. It prints money through cloud. Like Apple is the only company that really makes all of their money from the consumer. And so I feel like that's kind of the primary reason why they are just so ahead. But Microsoft just doesn't care. And like, I don't know, they have, you know, Panos on stage talking to Cristiano being like, oh, yeah, like we're, we love our partnership. But it's like, man, <laughs> I don't know if you do, because if you did, you would be really pushing developers to actually make apps that support. Like it took Adobe a year and a half after or maybe even two years after the original 8CX came out to support like Lightroom and Photoshop natively on there. Yeah. And when the M1 came out, it was like a matter of days. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. They were already able to, uh, the translator, like you said, was amazing. Yeah, it was already, it, the translator's already amazing and the native versions came out so fast. Like, yeah, exactly. Premiere is now M1 native. When the, when the Resolve native M1 version yeah, came out. It's like four times faster than oh the translated one. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. We all, I think we've said on many occasions during this show, I can't believe I'm on this. Right. I think it was David Kogan that was yeah. like this stupid, amazing laptop. I know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, and it's it's everything about it. It's not, I mean, it's the platform obviously, but then everything else about the quality, the fit and finish, the screen, everything is so freaking good. And every time I use it, literally every time I use it, I smile. <laughs> I don't have that with a lot of products and I never thought I'd have that with a laptop. Yeah. But it is that way. And so when Qualcomm announces a third generation of a thing that doesn't really matter right now until developers get on it, I don't know how to feel. Like well, I just I to feel your, nothing. To your point, you did make the point that it's it's already kind of cut at the knees because it's just not powerful enough to even support a lot of those higher end things for us. Now, don't get me wrong. The ATX Gen 3 is probably something that would work really well for those laptops that are just like, I'm going to do emails. I'm going to do productivity. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to write scripts. Or not even scripts. I'm going to write. And stuff like that. And They're beefier it, Chromebooks. Yeah, exactly. They're beefier Chromebooks. Chromebooks. And, and this is not to say that we're trying to like minimize the fact that there's a large amount of people who do that stuff. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, we are yeah. just the ones who are like the tryhards that yeah. have like all the other stuff to do. Completely. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> yeah. because it is geared more towards a productivity standpoint and even then it might even be maybe it, it, it's an enterprise solution too yeah but here's you the other thing it. in my opinion the only thing that they have going for them is the uh the cloud or the uh lte connection built in mm -hmm. and the lte and the 5g that's built into it buy a macbook air <laughs> like if you unless you absolutely need like a data connection on your laptop itself buy a MacBook Air because that is the best computer in the world for 90% of people I, by I, far. I made that mistake. Jaime was the one who kind of called me out on it when I was like, yeah, I got, um, I got the iPad mini with cellular. And he gives me this look and like virtually, he gives me this look like, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, why, why would you do that when you can tether? And I was like, oh yeah. My, oh my God, I've made a huge mistake. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that a lot, the problem is there's a lot of consumers who are like on Verizon, who Verizon locks down tethering and mm -hmm. doesn't allow you to do it unless you pay an additional $10 or Fair, something. Fair, yeah, yeah. Very stupid. I've been on Google Fi for years as you are as well, right? Yep, yep. And that's just like. How many data sims do you have now? Uh, I think three. Same. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Issa's literally using one. Like she yeah. has it as a backup in, oh, nice. in the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm on a family plan with five other people. Oh, and, okay. uh, so it's only, it's only like $50 a month. And I know all of you in India are going to say you pay $50 a month. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. American data is expensive. It sucks. Well, I mean, but it's still cheaper than a lot of other options. True. Everything here is expensive. Like I saw that meme about how if you put together all of our streaming services, we're basically paying for cable again. Yeah, I would argue, <laughs> and I tell people this all the time, and this is sort of my like- um, Is your hill to die on? <laughs> yeah, because I, I, think, I think it's why things like Patreon are so incredible. Mm. Because uh, when you buy a cable subscription, you're getting like 400 channels and you're watching three. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you rather pay you know, less or the same amount, but support the creators and the people that you actually care about versus just giant telecom networks. I guess so. It's yeah. vaguely the same thing, yeah. but you are supporting the right people directly. And I, I guess to your cool. point, like you're, you're paying for very specific networks of content. Yeah. So Netflix, Peacock, stuff like that. Um, well, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about strictly streaming networks then I'm like, ugh, you know, it, it is just a cable subscription. Again. Yeah. Agreed. It really is. But if, 
we can somehow pivot a lot of the world to Patreon or a Patreon style, whether it's Substack or whatever, and just paying for the content for the people that you care about and you want to support. Not only does that like, it does that allow you to have quality content that you want when you want it, but it also opens up so much of the creative world to being able to support themselves. And it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, anyway, uh, that's a little off topic. It is. It is. It's fine. Um, <laughs> So. Real real ones will notice <laughs> that we have barely talked about what is supposed to be the, the biggest announcement. <laughs> the, the, the phone chip. But I think that is a poetic way of actually yeah. saying something that I have been thinking this whole time. Mm. We know these chips are going to be great. Yeah, They are going to be in some of the best phones of the year. Whether yeah. it, it, Of course, the whole, the whole wrinkle of whether or not the actual OEM is making their own chip is a whole different story. Mm. But by and large, you're going to see a lot of phones yeah. that have this chip and be considered great. Great. Totally. At least for the next couple of years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So with that in mind, are are we are we jaded now? <laughs> like, because I was listening to all of these enhanced yeah, I was listening no. to all of these additions and features that they were talking about in what is now called the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. Uh-huh. Um and I kept thinking to myself, oh well that's expected. Yeah. <laughs> we went from 12 bit to 14 bit. Yeah. And next year we'll go to 16 bit. Now, now next we have year we'll eight, go to 18 bit. We have true HDR for 4K. And we're like, okay, cool. And well, like, we can do 8K 30. And I'm like, I don't record I don't that. I record 8K on a exactly. smartphone sensor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. We're definitely jaded. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think for the mobile gamers out there, it's going to be better. Yeah. Um, when I was talking to this Hot Jukes guy, he was telling me he can't hit 120 FPS on the games he plays. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that will actually help. Yeah. Um, cool. But everything else, I mean, the one thing, the one big question that I have actually is theoretically their AI performance was increased by quite a lot this year. I think that is due to pressure from Google, which I really appreciate. And I am curious how the AI, it's very, very hard to benchmark AI. But I'm very curious how the AI performance will compete against Tensor um, both this year and versus Tensor 2. But like, if there's one thing that Tensor do- does better than any other phone, and we were talking about this earlier, like, you know, I made, I made a video on Tensor, actually. And it's about the ambient computing future, what Tensor can do for people. But the biggest thing that Tensor does is natural language processing and that is through multiple channels. It's through on-device real-time translation, on-device real-time captioning, and translation. So you can watch a video in Japanese, and it will be live translated and captioned to you in English, which is incredible. But the biggest thing, I think, for me, and that has changed the way that I use my phone, and a big reason past Material U, which is also a huge reason, but a big reason why I can't switch to a different phone right now, and I think a big reason why you love using the Pixel right now is because the voice texting is so freaking fast and so freaking accurate Yeah, that it, it feels like it's like typing faster than my brain can move. I'm already, I think a lot of us already hate making or uh, typing emails on a phone. Mm-hmm. This completely changed that experience. Completely. You can just do paragraphs in a matter of seconds. Exactly. It's outrageous. Yes. And I, I was literally, that's how I texted you on the way here. Yeah. And I, I was just responding to some messages using that. Mm-hmm. Is it perfect? No. But it's easy to just go in and make the quick edits and yeah. you're good to go. And it's quite good. It's yeah. still very good. And it does like punctuation for you. Sometimes that's not correct, but a lot of the time it is. It's just going to get better over time. So I'm curious like how the... Uh, 8 Series Gen 1 will do with that kind of stuff. I think its processing is fine. It's going to be fine, I should say. But the advantage that Google has is billions upon billions of exabytes of data yeah. from the rest of us to build off of. Yeah. Does Qualcomm have quite the have, have the access to quite that big of a library? Maybe yeah. not. That's yeah. probably the only part that I feel is well, a bottleneck. Well, it's the tensor cores too, though. Yeah. Because the, the tensor is built around the tensor cores. Yeah, okay. Like it has a CPU, GPU, whatever, but it's got way more ML tensor cores than like any other chip. Mm-hmm. And so Qualcomm sort of like, they have dedicated ML cores, um, but will they be as fast or as good? And then like you said, combined with the fact that Google has way more data, especially way more like uh, natural language processing data. Yes. And then also way more image recognition. Like you want to talk about machine learning. Google's been doing it for decades now. Exactly. We did this... Um, we did this video recently reviewing every Google phone. So I was doing all this research on like what each phone sort of brought to the table. 
the Nexus One launched with Google Lens. That was like Android 3, <laughs> and it had basically Google Glass, uh, not Google Glass. <laughs> it, was, it was called Google Lens at the time, but now it's, um, no, it wasn't called Google. It was called Google Goggles at the time. It launched with Google Goggles. Oh my God, yeah. Now it is called Google Lens, which oh. is built on the camera. Yes. But it was doing, like, the Nexus One, one of the first Android phones was already able to do object recognition. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible, which means like Google has obviously been doing this ML type of stuff for a really long time. And to be fair, image recognition is one of the easiest types of ML you can do because they just have insane databases of photos mm-hmm. um, that they can compare against. But that all said, Google is just so far in ML. So I'm, I don't know. I mean, it would be great if this insanely fast voice texting feature came to every phone. Yeah. Um, Material U is a totally different thing which won't come to other phones, but anyway. So the, but, yeah. you're right. AI is one of Qualcomm's like biggest, like it's one of the biggest things that they focus on every year when it comes to these processors. As far as the AI stuff is concerned, not just for things like voice recognition, speech to text, all of the, all of that. Um, I do feel like I need to touch upon this because mm-hmm. I haven't done it in any of my content and I know it's going to be a super controversial thing, mm-hmm. but in the vein of AI, where how do you feel about this notion of an always on camera yeah yeah because it's always going to be trying to detect you yeah and that's that's an ai thing and it's trying to figure out if you're like ready to look at your phone that way you never even have to touch it so it can unlock yeah um yeah i don't know like they're they're dedicating an entire isp just for this yeah yeah right so it's it's hard because um i do a, a talk with judd heap who runs snapdragon camera every year and we always talk about the new machine learning features and like now you can process two gigapixels per second. Now it's up to 3.7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And because they have, they keep adding more ISPs and they have a bigger pipeline and all this stuff. And I asked him, I said, what is the biggest in your eyes change this year to Snapdragon and camera and the machine learning stuff? And he's like, always on camera. I was like, oh no. <laughs> because no matter how good this is and how potentially useful this is, I think that a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with it. And it actually, what's funny is it reminded me of the LG uh, G8 Fin G6, think the one with the blood glucose thing. Um, blood glucose thing? Yeah, where you waved your hand over it and it read your... It read no, the, it was that cells. wasn't glucose. It, it read it read the pattern of your veins, your vein pattern in, in in your hand. Yeah. That way, you knew vein that it was your hand. So it kind of reminded me of this because all of the uh, all of the use cases that they kept bringing up as like basic use examples were: you're cooking, you look over at your phone, it unlocks because it recognizes your face, and then you can use like Google Assistant or something like that. Um. <laughs> That was the same like use case that the vein recognition used. You're cooking, your hands are full. <laughs> you you wave your hand over it. Why unlocks. does it always come back to these like super specific situations? Like Yeah, I think that they just have to come up with some use case. Yeah. So the thing for me that I sort of tried to, to bring up with Judd, and I'm sure that I'm sure look, they're way smarter than I am. Let me get that out there. <laughs> I'm sure they've been thinking about this a lot. Um, but for me, like I don't want my phone to unlock every time I look at it because things like we were talking about this yesterday, things like tap to wake or raise to wake, those are very intentional. I'm about to use my device things, right? And we have these OLED displays with these always on displays that are displaying clocks and all this ambient information that's very useful when you need it. But when you actually want to use your phone in full, you touch it. And just looking at your phone to unlock it doesn't make a lot of sense to me and I don't really it seems like it seems like a thing where they're like oh we can do this now so we will because it's an additional feature and Jed was saying like it it depends on the OEM and how they want to implement it so obviously maybe sometimes you'll look at it and then it'll judge the direction of your gaze and if you're looking directly at it then it will unlock or something like that but i still i still i don't know like this this feels like a this (laughs) this feels like a bridge farther 
than Face ID. What's it called on iPhones? Face, face ID? ID. Yeah. yeah. So on Face ID, even if like like you can see that the phone is at a certain angle from my face right now. Yeah. But if I just if I'm just at the right angle, even though it's not directly straight onto the phone, it can still grab it. It can still grab it yeah. and unlock the phone. Now, granted, I still need to wake the phone in order to do that. Mm. What Qualcomm's trying to do is like, oh, we detect your faces in the vicinity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's wake the phone. Well, they had some security potential security features, like if you hand your phone to someone else because they need to. To text their friend or they need to make a call um, it can recognize that it's not your face and so it'll hide all of your apps or something like that right mm -hmm. and there are profiles on Android already that you can tap I want to switch profiles to a guest user so that all of your apps get hidden this is just a way to do it like automatically so it's something that could potentially streamline a lot of these kind of niche use cases or like if they see someone like looking over your shoulder or something like that but the problem with that is that I see so many false negatives. If I'm on the subway, someone just happens to be taller than me and standing behind me, they're not looking at my phone. They're just, and even if they are, I don't want my phone to be disabled just because someone's behind me. Yeah. You know, it's just all of the potential use cases they have offered to me do not seem worth the, and I understand that they are going through a bazillion measures to make sure this is not really a privacy concern, but people, just like with Facebook, Meta, I'm just going to keep going on Facebook because their freaking meta branding is actually working on people and it bugs me. But anyway. Oh, yeah. We didn't even touch upon that whole part of the keynote. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the metaverse. How about no? <laughs> How about this was created um, like two months ago and nobody will stop talking about it? Yeah. But anyway, um, when, when it comes to this always on camera, like. Yes, I get that there are going to be those privacy concerns, but I feel like Qualcomm has this track record of creating a solution and hoping that someone figures out what problem it solves. Yeah, definitely. That's why they Absolutely. are letting the OEMs figure it out on themselves. Yeah. Um, do you see a big adoption rate for an always-on camera? Because we always talk about this where Qualcomm provides a billion switches, yeah. but every company chooses, picks and chooses which switches they want to turn yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this switch will be turned on? I feel like there will be one or two companies that do. It would have then, been it would have been Sony or LG. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. It probably would have been LG. <laughs> but uh, look what happened to them. Yeah. So, and then they'll they'll probably turn it on and then sort of brand it as their own sort of thing. There's sort of this meme in the tech community, specifically in the phone community, where like Qualcomm will every year at one of these events they tell you all the new features they're offering, and you don't end up seeing that feature in a phone for like two years because. Nobody really wants to be the first to like use it. Um, and then there's a the Samsung issue where Samsung makes Exynos phones and Qualcomm phones, and they can't have a feature on the Qualcomm version, but not the Exynos version. So they just omit a lot of the Qualcomm features until they can figure out how to make it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole nother issue. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't necessarily see that being a thing anytime soon. And what is interesting is how contrasting it is with what Apple has been really pushing for the last couple of years really hard regarding privacy. Like they have just been beating this drum about privacy. And I feel like this is not something that Apple would ever do. And I don't want to be that guy that's like making the Apple comparison every time, but those are the two OSs, right? And so it was easy for us to not do that because we never had them in our lives. Yeah. Now they're kind of, yeah, I still like, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. It, I don't want to like say Apple would never do this because it sort of like gives the impression that Apple is the the right they know the right way to do it. Yeah. But it's just that they they clearly have been very loud and careful about what they do regarding privacy. And this sort of feels like one of those like the engineers figured they could do it but they didn't think if they should do it, you know. Um so, I don't know. I don't really see it being adopted anytime soon. So well, I don't think it's it should be that Big of an issue, yeah. Not for not at least for a bit, yeah. But and we'll know when somebody does it. There'll yeah, be headlines. <laughs> we'll exactly, know. and we'll have yeah. We'll be able to see those headlines. Um, and there are probably a couple. Like when you think about it, we we got we got a lot of stuff that we expected, and then we also have like things that might kind of raise our eyebrows because you just said it. Like we had like Facebook and Meta. Yeah, we had Meta there, okay. and. An, Look at the world we're starting to move into when a company like Qualcomm is starting to push Meta and an always-on camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tech is we're we're starting to move into the cyberpunk days. I'm telling yeah, you right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it makes sense for them because Qualcomm's always pushed XR. Oh sure. And I think them having that relationship with um, Facebook Meta Oculus, uh, that's what we want to call them. Uh, <laughs> it's a big conglomerate. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, is probably important for them, and it's probably a business, like strategic business move. Oh sure, yeah, no. That at the a end of the a lot of what they did on stage was a strategic. They had Hiroshi Lockheimer on stage. I like. Oh man, it, I'm sorry, Hiroshi, if you hear this, but like, I I put in our our like Slack chat. At first, they had this big thing, um, this big thing on stage that said like. A premium uh, Snapdragon equals premium Android, and I was like, I think Google probably has something to say about that. <laughs> and then they showed all the Android OEM partners. Google was not on there, and I was like, oof, awkward. And then they were like, now Hiroshi Lockheimer, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> what the heck is going on? So clearly, like, they're not real. I mean, they're working together on the Android platform side but they have a strained relationship on the chipset side. On the processor point. side, yeah. right? Because even Google on stage, whoever it was, was saying like, I remember we all, not we, I didn't do it, but a bunch of people tweeted, ooh, burn, when whoever was on stage for Google when the Pixel was being announced was like, we have never been able to do this level of processing yeah. before yeah. because of limitations in the hardware. Limitation, and we're yeah. like, oh my God. They all give each other these subtle burns, but at the end of the day, they still have to work together from oh, the yeah. business platform side. Totally. So they have to bring each other out to these events and they have to like save face and all this stuff, but it's, it's just kind of funny and a little bit awkward. Well, you know what, on that note of yeah. how weird this world is becoming for <laughs> us, even in the tech world, uh, we're gonna go ahead and call it on that one. Uh, David, thank you again. Um, always good to hang out. And you know what, I'm gonna not even have a long-winded outro. It's time for us to jump in the pool. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks again, David. All right. Follow all of the links for David Amell uh, in the show notes, not only his work with the studio, but also with MKBHD. Don't forget to check out his YouTube channel as well if you're looking for deep dives into various forms of our tech and the trends that we are seeing right now. Uh, he has a couple of videos up there right now, and they are pretty in-depth and pretty awesome to watch. And of course, you can follow me on the interwebs. I have my own content and social media platforms. You can find me at youtube.com slash Joshua Vergara for my own content. But as far as Pocket Now is concerned, you can find Pocket Now at pocketnow.com for the latest headlines. You can go to any social media network and find us at Pocket Now. And then, of course, go to youtube.com slash Pocket Now for video content that's coming out pretty much every single day. With all of that said, we're going to go ahead and call it on this episode of the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. Thank you so much for kicking it with us. Please take care of yourselves and each other, and we will see you in our next episode.